Hi, my name is Londe Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content creators. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Tosin Coker, a director and filmmaker. Tosin is the founder and CEO of Skylar Productions, through which he has directed and produced films such as Laura in the Beat and the upcoming film Finding Neptune. We talk with Tosin about Nollywood, navigating film markets and distribution, starting a production company, and much more. And now, on to our interview. All right, Tosin, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Film Space podcast. What's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for thank you for being here. This is uh, this is going to be a great interview. Um, we haven't and I haven't uh, spoke to anybody from the Nollywood scene, so this should be um, really informative for me. I'm really um, eager to learn more about you know what's going on over there where are you based i'm based in los angeles and then sometimes in texas so i I shuttle between both places okay but you've spent time in uh nigeria making films um i think i spent the past four years making films uh, on tv in nigeria Uh, most of my life i've been here i was born in san francisco i grew up in nigeria i spent about 13 years in nigeria before moving back to the States. And I've been here for about 24 years uh, since. So I went to film school here. I went to animation school here. I did a few short films, did some uh, music video, uh, did some editing, and then eventually uh, got an opportunity to go to to Africa, South Africa in 2015. And uh, just out there, uh, being going to Africa, just experiencing cinema over there, uh, I was really interested in the African film space. So from there, I got an opportunity to uh, come to Nigeria and uh, direct a television series. Mm-hmm. And off of that television series, I got an offer to make the, my first theatrical feature, uh, which is actually now on Netflix. And I think the TV series also on Netflix. Nice, nice. That's amazing. That's so dope. Um, so what, what are some of the differences that you've noticed between Nollywood and Hollywood? Um, well, Hollywood is, is developed already. Uh, I mean, it's been on for over 100 years now. Um, so Hollywood in general, uh, you've seen the development uh, of cinema over, you know, decades and, you know, uh, pretty much a century. You see uh, development of cinema, cinematic language. You see the journey to mm-hmm. actually find uh, uh, directors and uh, cinematic voices. Uh, through that, but with, with Nollywood, Nollywood is still developing. I, I quantify Nollywood with uh, at this moment, this present time. Nollywood is in uh, Hollywood circa 1970s, where you're having that whole new Hollywood movement. Um, there's a lot of development necessary uh, in terms of uh, the f- organization, and I think the the uh, the appreciation of the art. Um, um, so for me, looking at Nollywood and coming in there, uh, it, it was just a whole lot of uh, um, 
education uh, in terms of the the uh, the workflow that was necessary over there. But one thing that I do know that they have in, in Hollywood is that the ability to tap into resources and to tap into uh, um, to make low budget cinematic projects look more larger than life based on just you know the limitations they had. People had to be a lot more resourceful. People had to think outside the box. Uh, you have a lot shorter time to make cinematic cinematic projects. So, you know, um, it's just more or less like hustle, hustle, hustle. You know, you're working 24 hours a day. Sometimes I, I, I shoot 48 hours, no sleep, uh, because right. of just the fact that it's just a hustle. I'm shooting 20 pages a day sometimes uh, out there. Uh, so it's that hustle mentality. They don't have a lot of resources, but everybody's really digging deep and they're trying to just be the best they can be, you know, at cinema to get us, you know, forward over there. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the major difference. Yo, that's crazy. You work 48 hours straight. What are you, what are you doing to, to stay up for that amount of time? Oh, loads, loads of coffee. I mean, for this film in particular, I mean, I'll, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll be shoot, we'll shoot six days, uh, 20 hour days. Sometimes, I mean, being the director and pro producer on this, I was probably getting three hours of sleep every day. And I did this for about 30 days. So it, literally after shooting, I had to take two weeks off just to just detox and get away from everything because it's just overwhelming you know you you it's like you're it's pretty much you can quantify it to going to war uh you come in there and you're just in it you know you're just shooting and shooting because also time is of essence shooting in africa uh it's like once you have the budget you know it's not as i said it's not as organized so it's like in sense like what we have to just once we have the money we just got to just start moving with it like so for us, we got the money. I didn't have any pre-production days because just the turnaround was so short. I just had to like get in there into the trenches and rely on my past preparation instincts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, just working with the actors in the moment and trying to get you know the, the honest thing those moments over there. So, yeah, it's it's really intense. It's <laughs> shooting out there. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, in regards to your 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 film, Laura and the Beat. Was it done through a production company or is it through your production company? Um, Lara the Beat, uh, it was done with a partnership with another production company. It's actually the, uh, I think the brainchild of uh, my produce, a producing partner in Nigeria. She wanted to make a coming of age story along the lines of a Disney type of film uh, of two sisters who lose everything and they have to pretty much embrace their talents when they don't have the security of financial independence. Uh, there, so it's almost like a rags, a, a riches to rags story from Sense and Sensibility type of film. Uh, so she always wanted to do it. It was uh, synonymous with her story with her sister. They had it and they lost it. So she um, tapped me. We, you know, we met, we spoke about it, and then you know, I decided to take it on. And with that, I had we chose to co-develop it. While I, was, I came back, I was shooting TV back then. And when she pitched it to me, so I came back to the States, met with my team, and we went into the script because they already had a script. And I tried to develop it in such a way that it would appeal to me. Because for me to make a film, it has to be personal to some degree. I just can't make a film that's not personal because it's not going to be, it's not going to be honest. So I worked with my team to try and get a project or a product as honest as possible to what my vision could be. 
and uh, that's how it came about. So it was like, I think for them, it was just the co-production with an American company. For me, just having the perfect co-production with a, a Nigerian company for us to be able to bridge that gap between both sides of the pond, which is my our ultimate vision mm-hmm. for this type of film. Mm. And you said there was, you said there was minimal pre-production. Can you elaborate more on, on that process? Uh, yeah. So honestly, there, there was, I would say there was, we didn't really have pre-production time. I didn't have the luxury of that because straight out of like, as we're scripting, I, I flew back, I, I, I flew to LA in May and I had to fly back to, in August to start pre-production on the film. But the moment I landed in Nigeria, the, the executive producer and their team were like, they, they wanted to make changes to the script. They were considering a complete overhaul of the script. Oh, wow. So at that point, they already had a different script. And then they now had us try to create a script that could work with both because they wanted to, you know, the, the target audience, they wanted to expand it to, you know, to touch on, um, you know, uh, I, I, they wanted it's a touch uh, uh, have a love story in it we didn't have a love story element initially so that took about two months of just crafting so between august and i think october was just us trying to figure out what the final script was and then literally i think end uh, by the beginning of october once we say okay we have a script you know the day after they say oh well, we have the money we don't we, we have to shoot because investors want to see something happening so I think like a day after finishing the script, I jumped to set. And I think I only had maybe like a day or so to just check out locations, or maybe I look at locations the day before, and I have to craft out my shots, my lighting, like either on the day of, or like the day before. So I was literally relying on instinct a lot of times, me and my team, and I was fortunate to have such a great team, set of people, you know, people that I went to, some of them I went to film school with. So we're able to take time out and say, okay, what's important in the scene? What's happening in the scene? How do we enter, enter the scene? What do we focus the camera? What's the blocking? So we're doing all that in real time. And it was an interesting exercise because it takes you back to film school yeah. where you're doing, um, you know, how you have like, oh, you have class exercises, create a scene in two hours yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or or do editing camera because you know so all the training i had over the years came to play mm-hmm. off of making this film you know so you see what you see on the screen it was literally we're just creating on instinct all of us that's dope that's it. That's so, yeah i was just thinking that sounds like a really good exercise yeah Except, uh, it's an exercise that led you to netflix which is which is dope yeah, um, it was exciting so when you were as far as the locations like Mm-hmm. What about like, how how many days uh, were you shooting for? Well, on paper we had thirty one days, but based on restriction, because as I said, we're still developing industry. Um, we had so many restrictions, like you know, we had thugs would shut down the set, or the power would go out, or there'll be traffic, or we can't get lights, or you know, we're creating on the fly. Uh, we came down. I'll say I, I would quantify it as twenty three days while shooting in the states, and you know. Uh, uh, and, and where everything was all functional perfectly, it'd be 23 days. But I think uh, that's which literally what we had to make this film. It's, uh, I think we had like 40 something principal cast members and, you know, about <laughs> 200 crew all had to just come together to make it happen in 22 days. Wait, I'm sorry. You said 23 days in the States? No, I said if we if we were shooting in the states, okay. like based on logistical issues, like sometimes I had to shut down set for like you know five hours or eight hours, so those days were gone. 
So if on paper it's 31 days, but in, in reality, it came down to about 23 days of shooting is what we had. Got you. And how, how were y'all um, like finding new locations as you were, you were like finding them as you were shooting? Yeah, well, my, I had a producer who, she was very resourceful in that, in that effect. Like she was just finding them on the go. Like literally I'm on one set and I'm like, I need to be, we need to shoot this other scene, but we don't have a location. She's making calls. I'm like, oh, we have this location right now. Could you just drive over there and shoot it? So that's what we're doing. Like just moving from set to set based on quick phone calls or favors from friends in that moment. So it was very guerrilla style wow. filmmaking. Uh, like I remember she got a whole building never been used before to the scene where the whole, like, I think a skyscraper never been used before. And she got that, like, I think the, the 24 hour, well, 24 hours prior to, or yeah, prior to shooting, she got a whole building for us. You know? um, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds like an adventure if there ever was one. Oh yeah, it was. It, it was. It. I mean, we all talk about it till tomorrow. Like mm. from pre-production all we suppose, so it's an adventure on this film. Mm. Um. So, do you want to make more films uh, in Nollywood? Oh yeah. I mean, I, there, if I think it just depends on the right product. I've been given offers so far. Uh, and I have a few things in development also on this end uh, that we are working on for Africa and for Nollywood in, uh, in particular. So, yeah, I'm excited to do more things. Just great opportunity there to grow also for just, you know, um, African-American and African and, and unrepresented uh, uh, people. It's a great space to go out and create something fresh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, bridging that gap, I believe, is very important uh, to bridge between the African American community and the African European community in Africa, the Indigenous Africa, mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of stories that need to be told over there. So I think that's a great opportunity for filmmakers, you know, Black filmmakers, to go out there and just make a difference. Mm. What are some? If let's say there's somebody listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I, I, either they are Nigerian or maybe. They're not Nigerian and they're like, you know what? I want to like, I'm tired of America. I want to move to, to Nigeria and, um, and make some movies. What, what are some of the benefits as opposed to working in, in Hollywood or in America? Going back, going to Africa, you know, there's just, you get a lot more access. Access is very important. You have access to, you know, equipment at a fraction of the cost. You have access to talent where it's ready to to uh, tell, help you tell your story. Um, there, you have um, also uh, resources, financial resources go along the way over there. You know, um, so you're able to tell a full-length story uh, with, you know for a fraction of the cost on it that you do in the States and just the opportunity to tap into something fresh, something that has layers, a traditional aspect of it and bringing culture and bringing a slice of life that the world's never seen. I think that that's something that you can't really quantify the fact that you could tell a story that's just different. And I think that's because it's 2020, you see everybody has seen a whole lot of the same thing. Now you can go out there and tell a story that people have never been, I've never seen before. You look at what happened with Crazy Rich Asians is a completely different world. And people embrace that because they've never seen it before. So going to Africa, 
just gives you the opportunity to tell stories that, you know, will really, really move the world, you know, in, uh, in such a way that, wow, you know, we've never seen that before. I, I, I subscribe to that. Uh, and that's what I, I've at least have noticed and I've picked up based on this film we just did is just the response to like, wow, you know, we, 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 we never knew Africa was like that. We never knew that you could, you know, people went through the same situations or same, same issues and conflicts we did on this end. So opportunities are just like, just endless out there at this point because it's developing still. Got you, got you. And and what is, is Nollywood like centralized? Like like when people think of Hollywood, they it's literally Los Angeles. And, I, and it is expanding, you know, Hollywood technically could be New York and technically could be, um, I mean, literally Hollywood's in Los Angeles, but when people think of Hollywood as entertainment, they think it could be, it could be Atlanta with Tyler Perry Studios. It could be New York City. Um, is Nollywood like in Lagos specifically? Like, is there like a centralized area where there's tons of creatives and filmmakers and production companies? Well, um, Nollywood itself is an indie idiom coined from Nigeria and Hollywood. So it's just a merger of that. So I, it's, it's pretty much the country itself is Nollywood. Uh, uh, and I, we, we, we dubbed that. I think somebody came and did an article in Nigeria. I think somebody from the West and they call it Nollywood and it, it stuck. Uh, so when you say Nollywood film is a Nigerian uh, cinematic project is what it is. Some of that stars principally, principally Nigerian talent, Nigerian crew, Nigerian, you know, that's what Nollywood is. Uh, it's, it's mostly central, uh, the, 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 the cinematic hub in Nigeria uh, is going to be mostly Lagos or also the East, the evil parts of the world, uh, of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they do a lot of uh, cinematic projects out there. And also the, the capital, Abuja, is also pretty much booming right now. So it's, it's Nigeria in general. And then there are other countries. Ghana has Gollywood. And, you know, I think Kenya has their uh, own uh, their own uh, version of the, of the industry. Uh, but Nollywood being Nigeria was, it's just, I think the biggest in Africa based on the turnout and just, you know, how we've embraced cinema as a whole, you know, as an export. Yeah. yeah. Um, could you elaborate more on what you think could be developed in Nollywood? Um, is there like, what are the unions like out there? What are some of the requirements um, just, just in general when, when, you know, producing and making a movie uh i do know that they, i mean they're there they have unions producers unions and i they have directors unions and there's an actors guild of nigeria union uh but in terms of like um protection for the talent or protect or or um the uh, benefits they offer i feel that there's still a whole lot more especially protecting uh the the, the their members um, financials of, of um, their financial um, of future feasibility of you know um, like their financial um, sorry I'm looking for the right word for it that they pretty much just benefiting them financially um, like you know you have medical they don't have you know set up for 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 uh, people that are in those guilds uh, they you have um, 
minimum dues, like you know, the minimum rates that they're supposed to get. We have that over here with the DGA, but you don't have that over there. Uh, I feel that there's a whole lot more to be done uh, as far as taking care of the members. And um, I really, I'm not necessarily a member of any of the guilds, but based on my experiences with them, I feel that they just need to do a lot more to protect their members. And also they need to do a whole lot more to push the industry forward, at least fight for financing for the industry, fight for you know education, you know, in turn uh, for for people that are in the industry, actors and behind the scenes people. And I don't see a lot of that being done at this point. Um, a lot of the people that are coming are the film school generation, people that went to school in the West and they're coming back to give back and they're setting up you know different uh uh seminars and you know workshops to train people and i feel that that's something that the guild should actually subscribe to got you got you so here in the in the states you know there's like you said like a hundred years ago or so there uh-huh. were these production companies that kind of solidified themselves and they're still around such as warner brothers uh-huh. um trying to think of another company i can't think of any up any other ones up the top universal mgm you know, exactly the, yeah, yeah those those so, companies who are uh, who are some of the power power production companies or studios in nollywood um yeah there there are a few i could mention i was fortunate to work i'm actually fortunate to work with uh two um there's uh ebony life uh television and ebony life, ebony life studios uh i think they're the behemoth of the industry they they turn out the most projects they actually have the box office numbers the best box office numbers um this started out um i think over 10 years ago um was when they started epping live television and, and and studios and they've just been whipping out a lot of films so uh that's one of them and then there's Biola lobby studios who is my partner and making lauren the beat uh, she actually used to run uh the equivalent of like uh comcast uh, in Africa, it's called DSTV, multi-choice. Mm-hmm. So she was running cable on the continent, and then she decided to go private and start a production company. So she actually has the resources and also the contacts to, you know, to build, you know, upwards and also outwards towards the West with her content. Uh, there are other uh, production companies that are out there that's called Golden Effects Produ- uh, Studios. Uh, they are, and this is um, spearheaded by a filmmaker, uh, director, Kunle uh, Afolayo. He's also a very talented filmmaker who's actually making waves also outside of the continent. He's very well known on the continent. He's also branching out onto into the West. So there are a few of them that are going. And the sil- I just got a call from another one, Silverbird Cinema. They're now, they should have, they have a distribution network where they have the theaters and now they're going to straight up production. And they're really looking forward to actually integrating and bridging that gap between Africa and the West. So they're putting a lot of money into trying to get like African-American talent, African-American uh, people to come over there to, you know, to work on projects with, you know, the indigenous Africans, uh, uh, you know, back home. Gotcha. Dope, dope. So in, in here in the States, I feel like decades ago, it, it was probably not maybe not easier per se but i would say now definitely like it's a cutthroat industry um there's a lot of people here that want to be in the entertainment industry 
a lot of people move to LA and they just they don't make it for whatever reason even if they're really talented um, it's hard to break through it's really challenging to break through it's possible but it's challenging um, what is it like in Nollywood Be- because it is developing is it is it super cutthroat do you think it's really challenging to like call up one of these studios or send your resume to one of these production companies and get and get you know some eyes on either a project or your resume like what is it like there's politics also in nollywood and you know there it's a dog eat dog um um industry as much as it is over in the west but at the same time there is an openness to collaborate people are excited to you know work on something that's new something that's fresh and if you do have like you know something that's exciting something that people can really sink their teeth into and something that they know is also sellable, you know, um, uh, on both the continent and outside the continent, there are people you can approach. It's not as big as Hollywood. You can meet people and talk to people and basing excitement on what you bring to the table, uh, you could, you know, within a few days or a week, you could sit across from a, 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 a deal maker you know, in the industry. And before you know, you're on set. And also because the budget points are not that high, it's a lot easier to actually get a smaller production company to make a picture with you, or even like, you know, getting any of the majors over there to make a picture, you know, because they're looking to move forward and move upwards. And just that excitement as the industry as a whole propels people to be open to collaborate, especially if you're coming from, yeah, internationally. Uh, over there to look you know, to look for partnerships. I think that accessibility is just you know is just there. You know. Got you. Now you mentioned making movies that are marketable uh-huh. to uh, Nigerians and and all over the diaspora. Uh-huh. Um, your movie sold. So how would you define a Nollywood film that is marketable? Because I I would imagine it would be different than a Hollywood film being marketable. Yeah, I mean, um, a Nollywood film being marketable, I think it all boils down to content, you know, I, I would say. Uh, being able to tell a story that anybody outside, anybody can identify with. I think that's first thing. You have to be able to identify a story that people can actually tap into no matter where they are. Um, once you have that, something that transcends borders, uh, uh, look for those type of projects. Look for what elements of your, cinema, of your cinematic piece that can actually translate, transcend language barriers. Um, so if you have a project, for instance, like we did music, now music transcends borders. You could be from China, you could be from South America, but because of the music itself, it's actually something to open up for conversation. And then just looking at a story, you know, from uh, riches to rags, it's something that a lot of people can identify with. So I we went specifically and deliberately to, in there to make a film that I know for a fact that people outside of Nigeria can still uh, uh, can still watch and 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 and, and appreciate. And I think that going being over there and looking at films that would you know would appeal to people outside you know telling global stories. I think that's what's most important uh, and something that's also compelling. 
uh, over here I, I in the States right now, what's really selling as far as box office numbers are the tentpole Hollywood movies. Uh, but the more intimate movies back there are the ones that are really, really going far. And I think that that's, you know, what's different. Uh, it's just, you know, um, I always say that, you know, the audience, um, uh, this is why I say the audience doesn't necessarily know what they want to show them. Yeah. Uh, is one of the things I actually, I, I go with. So I don't try to construct something technically. I try to look for the emotion of it. And as I said, if it's personal to me, then I put my, you know, everything all in to just tell that story that I know appeals, that speaks to me. And I hope that I can, once I make it, people out there would, you know, would, would appreciate. But with Lauren B, we had music. So that actually also was a conversation opener uh, in there too. And then we use the cinematic language to also drive the story forward and to appeal, you know, uh, to a global audience just based on the way we shot it uh, and aesthetically too. Mm. Got you, got you. So what what do you think is the potential landscape for Nollywood in, throughout the 2020s? Like how how far, how much potential do you think Nollywood has? Um, well, well, I'll say thanks to streaming um, like media, we have better access now. Netflix has um, really embraced the continent and Nollywood as a whole. Um, so our content uh, for distribution, the distribution potential of Nollywood right now is just boundless um, because of just the, you know, this Netflix um, um, opportunity that they brought to, I think, to Africa, I think, beginning of the year. Um, so we have Netflix in Nigeria right now, which is Netflix Nigeria. And those guys are actually, uh, they're funding a lot of projects to put on the Netflix, to put on the global scale, uh, the global platform, sorry. So uh, I think that what the landscape is looking like is just more or less a complete seamless integration into just cinema as a whole. So not just Nollywood, just going to be cinema uh, or African independent cinema is where we're going with it. And uh, you can see that if you go into uh, Nollywood, uh, if you go into Netflix right now and just click, uh, you know, uh, international movies or Nollywood movies, you're going to see like a, you know, just a barrage of just different, you know, uh, movies from the, the continent or from Nigeria as a whole. And I know that um, right now Amazon is considering the same thing. And I believe HBO Max is also considering the same thing. So Africa is looking like the next big hub. And I really want to say I'm grateful for it. You know, Black Panther opened up the door for a lot of that. Oh, wow. Uh, Ryan Coogler uh, really, really like just bust the door open. And people saw Africa's wildest viability over there. And I know that... um, a lot of the top agencies in the country and the world actually are now looking at Africa um, as the next hub. That's dope. That's dope. What uh, do 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 you feel like there's a, a threat that um, non-Africans will like come in and kind of capitalize on this? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the moment I, the moment we saw the numbers on Black Panther, we already knew, like, a, a bunch of us came together, like, wow, well, now people are going to be coming to Africa, and they're going to want to tell our story. So it's important that Africans and, you know, even African-Americans are able to drive the narrative uh, because they're, I said, they're two sides of the same coin. You know, those that are indigenous and those that were... Uh, I, I won't say the word is displaced, but those that were uh, 
you know, that were taken, mm-hmm. you know, um, to the West. We're brothers, you know, we're, we're the same family. So I feel that as long as we're driving those stories, uh, that'd be fine. But we don't want it to be a story. We don't. What I I would not want, and I don't know if this is okay to say this. I just don't want it to be another form of colonization, yeah, yeah. so to speak, where you know the uh, it's it's like the West comes there and try and tell our story or try to whitewash our stories. You know, I think we need to stay authentic and uh, and embrace the uh, the the opportunity uh, of telling stories. You know by ourselves and also with our brothers on the West. Yeah. But not just telling stories, but like, like literally setting up shop, like setting up studios and production companies. And oh like, yeah. You know, making that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, funny enough. Um, yeah. A few of the producers I've been talking to um, here in Hollywood, uh, some of the top ones, I'm not going to mention any names are looking at Ghana right now. You know, I have a project that a few of the top people are like, okay, we want to try and collaborate, but we're trying to get a foothold in Africa because you don't know the terrain yet. So collaborating with you would get us in there. Uh, so I'm happy about that, that we have, you know, the, the you know, the African-American top African-American producers looking at Africa to set up shop and, you know, set up like a sound stage in the studio. They're looking at the long game in Africa and because it's, fer- it's fertile land. Yeah, and there's a lot of opportunity, so I think it just makes common sense, and that's why Ghana encouraged the year of the return. Yeah, you know, bringing investment from the West, you know, back to Africa, and I think that that extends also to cinema. Yeah, dope, dope. And what about um, the movie theater industry? What is, what was it like before COVID? And I know COVID hasn't hit. Nigeria nearly as bad as it is it as has hit America but yeah. here in America you know it's a serious threat that movie theaters are could like I I don't think it'll close down forever but it, mm-hmm. it they could take a really big hit um, oh, yeah so there's it's a huge threat so what is it like over there um yeah i mean over here it's 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 pretty much you know the new thing we're now embracing cinematic culture in nigeria i mean i know south africa has been doing it for a while they have a lot of theaters uh nigeria now i don't know if we have uh i don't know if we have up to 100 screens nationally under 100 theaters nationally i know we have you know a bunch of screens but I think there is now a, a, a push for investment there. COVID hasn't didn't hit Nigeria as hard as it hit the states because once it happened, there was a complete shutdown for two months, you know, uh, of everything. So, so it's like we try to control over there. And I know I think recently, I don't know if it's like the past two three weeks, they opened theaters again. So I understand the threat uh, as it's. It's affecting the U.S. because the U.S. is the, the industry is so developed right now that we have a lot of access to consuming cinematic properties at home. You know, we have a lot of streaming platforms that are accessible to us. Whereas in Nigeria, we we have HBO. I mean, we have uh, Netflix, and then other than that, we have DSTV, and I think they have Showmax on 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 uh, on on demand. So it's always going to be cinema, and I know that the cinema culture is not going away anywhere. There's a lot of investment going in there. We're looking towards having a thousand theaters, and honestly, the more theaters we have, the more successful a picture could be. You know what I mean? So you have a thousand theaters, and we'll not be talking about million millions of dollars box office returns over a weekend. 
So I see that now because Nigeria is now seeing the financial viability of the uh, uh, the financial success or financial results of cinema and seeing like, wow, you can make a whole lot of money. The go-to is being a doctor or a lawyer or you know engineer but now being a filmmaker is now something that you can be financially successful off of that you can live well off of making films so they're now pumping a whole lot of money and the government is also looking to help too uh to pump money into dope. film funds and all that in africa dope, dope, dope. what about the the uh the film festival circuit mm-hmm. um it what, what is that like over there what are some of the f- film festivals that are uh most popular or prestigious okay uh on the continent as a whole i mean there's there really there's some really good ones i when i went to africa the first time i was invited by the durban film market which uh, is tied into the durban film festival which is a, a partnership with the berlin film festival so that's a very big one you know to get in there because once you get in there it's like you now have the eyes of berlin film festival which is one of the top tier film festivals in the world on you uh you have things like the zanzibar film festival you have um i think there's one in um morocco uh which is also up there i think the carthage film festival is also there and and then you have some in nigeria you know we're looking at i think there's one called the real time film festival and i think the, i think it's the lagos film festival so there's they're they're now embracing this film festival culture because they celebrate cinema in nigeria they celebrate storytelling in africa and it's more it's like now they, because i said as i mentioned it's still growing it's not where hollywood is at well, I think the excitement of cinema, the way it was when Hollywood first started in, in the States, is like what we're ex- experiencing right now is this like celebration of African Africanism and, you know, through cinema and through fashion and all that stuff. So they're, they're bringing up like festivals that celebrates everything, fashion and music and, and cinema. Uh, and I see, I think we've seen a whole lot more of that, you know, as eyes start turning towards that, the continent. Oh, that's, uh, that sounds really exciting. Actually, I I have another question. Sure. <laughs> about Nigeria. Uh, cuz yeah. I do want to talk about your movie. Okay. So, let's say somebody is uh African American and they want to go out to uh Nollywood. What what do you think they should know or be prepared for? Because there is yes, we are family, but there are mm-hmm. cultural differences. There's differences between Hollywood and Nollywood like what should they prepare for and and know before you know deciding they want to go there to make a movie or go there to live there for the you know rest of their lives okay well first of all I'll say that also because it's developing things are not going to operate as they would have or how as they would they would in the west uh things might be a little bit slower you know, in terms of, you know, come to fruition as far as like functionality and some aspects. The industry doesn't work as it would in the States. I remember my producer, when she first got there, she was frustrated because, you know, there are certain things that were supposed to be put in place, you know, certain uh, uh, forms that should be filled, certain paperwork needs to be done. And like, well, we don't do that over here. Uh, I remember my assistant camera person was like, oh, you have to wear reflective jackets to shoot outdoors on the, on the road and they're like we don't do that over here so the certain level of patience and understanding and understanding 
an appreciation for the way they do things. Don't come with a preconceived notion and try and like lord it over them or just force it onto them. It's about understanding, open up dialogue, and also being patient and being able to listen. You know, uh, uh, in order to grow as a person, I think that's very important. If one can master that, and especially with the patience factor, I think that it's going to be easy to be able to make projects out there coming from the West. Got you, got you. So your your film, uh, Laura and the Beat, um, is about very much about music. How did your experience directing music videos help and influence uh, that film? Um, well, in making this picture, I, I um, my experience making it is. Uh, making music videos pretty much came into effect where it's just mostly a lot of the uh the technical aspects as far as the camera goes and the lighting and the color work i think that um just doing i i, I try to embrace more of a surrealist vibe for the film uh it's a little natural but i i i just being in music and you exaggerating certain things and you putting the you know the mtv generation uh, effects you know for the edit and the pacing and the timing uh, all those things um they go and they, they really help uh for me to be able to pace out scenes and also to be able to light the scenes technically um those are all from music video uh experiences that i applied towards this mo this project just to you know just give it that extra you know uh visual appeal i guess um for it to be palatable, you know, across, you know, variety of, uh, of people in different continents. And how, how did you go about incorporating like musical scenes without disrupting the flow of the story? It came seamlessly. Uh, the idea I actually had for the film, if I, you know, I, I didn't have product uh, was more or less like, uh, I wanted it to be, um, I always wanted it to be seamless as far as like transitioning from dialogue into music, but I wanted the situation where the camera is there and the scenes are changing. So I just have movable backgrounds and all that, but I couldn't do all that, like uh, La La Land. Uh, but with this particular one, it was just very seamless. You know, we just used lighting to, 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 you know, to tell that, you know, we went from the dramatic aspect into music and we just used lighting to tell that there's a particular scene where you see it's like, it's in a dark room and she's singing and had the pink light over her. It's almost like a dreamlike state. And that just went from, you know, a dramatic scene to like a fade out and then we're back in here and it's like almost dreamlike and then, and then we use a cross cutting to marry that so um it was it was just more or less like i just try to make it as seamless as possible without being over the top with it you know to make it you know call attention to itself mm -hmm. got you got you um what was the your what was the process of getting your film distributed by netflix um well the process of getting Netflix attention, is, it took a while because um, I was once we shot the film, we toured the festival circuit. But at the same time, being a producer, I always felt there's an importance to understand to walk the film markets to get a good sales agent behind it. So I did a lot of um, um, going to the I went to the AFM, the American film market. I went to the uh, Cannes film market. I talk to different uh, sales because when you're there, there's a lot of you, you have access to all these people. Everybody's out there to sell or buy films. Uh, 
So me just walking the floor, talking to people, finding out what they want or what they're looking for, uh, gave me an opportunity to present my film. And because I already had a finished cut of the film, uh, open presentation to some of these sales agents, like I got a few that were interested in by time that they all made their pitches we knew the one that worked for us and he had a relationship with netflix and with other people and based on that he, they took the film and they, they like um, <clears throat> they pushed it forward uh to uh, netflix and the other people and and then we just got our offers i mean it took about a year of you know touring but and a lot of travel on my part but eventually because I mean, when i made the film my mind was always netflix I, I didn't think of any other distribution platform honestly it was just netflix was what i wanted and i was just glad i, I stayed with it i sent hundreds of emails and uh, as, a, as a you know as a, up a starting filmmaker up and coming filmmaker it's, it's 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 really difficult you know you think that it's, everything just works out easily but no i've sent i sent out hundreds i have lists of hundreds of different sales agent and different people in netflix that i sent emails to to just get a response from and uh, eventually i think we got the response we wanted from netflix and um yeah it was just like they had the biggest platform for visibility and we just took that you know we, we just pushed it forward like uh, through that just for that particular reason got you got you so when you said you sent out hundreds of emails were these cold emails or were these emails of people that you already met uh, some people actually met on um, uh, on the floor, but, you know, you have to take initiative. Coming from film school, you have to take initiative. So, you know, um, once you're, you you start going to the film markets, there are different uh, resources that are available to you, which would have information on different production houses and emails of each person that is making decisions. So I went through them and I looked for who would the film or who would specifically fit the film as far as like distribution channel. And I emailed every single one of them. Uh, uh, there's a there's software is called Sinando. And I sat down with Sinando and I went through people in the US, UK and people in South Africa that could just get me the kind of results I wanted. And I emailed every single one of them. Uh, I, I crafted a well, I, I made a well-crafted email to stop breaking down the film, the synopsis, the highlights, some scenes on it. So you can actually get a look and feel of it. Uh, a link to a trailer and also the opportunities that could be exploited as far as merchandise and licensing and all that stuff so by the time i crafted all that people could see the opportunity and i send that out there and you know out of 100 you know you you get like two <laughs> and those two you know you can you know that we might find that particular one and that's actually the the format i used to get this film out there gotcha gotcha so what is a film market exactly um, a film market is just like, you know, it's like, just like any market, like a fruit market or whatever, but the product that they're selling is cinema, you know, so it's like a, a, a one-stop hub of different companies or different stalls selling films from, you know, different genre films, films from a particular country. It's just like, um, yeah, it's just one hub where everybody's selling films that they mean in their country or a particular genre of film. And people are either buying or selling, like, hey, I'm looking for a horror film uh, to, um, that I want to play theatrically. Oh, I can go to, you know, um, uh, the asylum or whatever. And they have like about five different films I want to buy for Canada, uh, the Canadian territory. I'm a distributor there. They go to Asylum, they see what they have on their slate, they buy those films. Or, or I want to look for a, a, a comedy, I go to XYZ Films, and they have this comedy starring this 
particular actor who's doing very well in Germany. I'm trying to buy for a German market, so I'm going to acquire that film for that market. So it's just in a place where you're exchanging films and buying and selling films. And uh, they have different ones all over the world. There's the Durban film market. It's in South Africa. You have the American film market in Santa Monica. You have the European film market in Berlin. And then you have the Cannes film market in Cannes. And then you also have some in in Canada. So if you're a filmmaker, my advice is that, yes, you have your film. But sometimes you, you just can't sit down and expect it's okay, I'll play the festival and that's it. You have to do a lot of lab work, a lot of networking, a lot of, you know, um, emails and cold calling and going to those film markets the best way to get that you know build those relationships and those networks so to get into a film market to get into the space is it like how, how does one get into that space uh yeah to get into a film market it's just more or less like um you know you know where it is and you just buy a credential for it so if, even if you don't have a product just to just walk the floor you buy a credential for it uh and it's not um there's not, there's not going to be a restriction if you don't have a film. And once you have that, you can just walk the floor and just, you know, everybody has a stall. It's like you can walk into any stall that like you could walk into, uh, uh, Netflix can have a stall. You can walk to Netflix and say, hey, I want to talk to your acquisition person. I think I have a project that you guys are interested in. So everybody's out there to buy and sell anyway. So there's no red tape. You don't have to go to like 50 different people. You can just sit down there and have this conversation. And it's funny that a lot of these conversations happen outside of the United States because their guards are down. They're in Europe now. It's not their terrain. So you have better access to them, you know, uh, by going to maybe the European or the Confirm market or Durban or whatever. Yeah. That sounds incredibly intense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like incredibly <laughs> intense. Oh, yeah. It's like film market. Sounds like one week market. of work. Oh, yeah, it is. Like one, it's, and, this, and that's funny. I quantify it as that because once I go there, the floor is just busy. I think, especially in Khan, like the first week of Khan, it's just like people are just going and running about like, hey, you know, just up and down. You know, so it gets busy, like the stock market. I look at it like this. It's the New York Stock Exchange. But it's in cinema and as a filmmaker yeah i'm sure it will excite any filmmaker just be around all that so i even see people that don't even have projects just have concepts and a lot of films are done you know uh if you've heard of the concept of pre-sales most pre-sales are done that way you know you are in the film market you have an idea you have a concept you have a package you know you already have a script you have somebody attached to it you go to a particular acquisition person and say hey i have this project with this person this person we have a script and we're ready to shoot and we're just looking for somebody to partner up with a production company slash distributor and they'll say well like right now we represent germany the going rate for germany is 100k we'll give you 100k uh, towards that but we take the distribution for germany so the the thing is that yes you not get maximum money by pre-sales, but you can get your film financed that way from a pre-sales on the film market. So I always recommend that starting up and coming filmmakers or starting filmmakers should explore that route for their films. And also, you know, if you're a short filmmaker, there's a film market for short films, <laughs> you know, and, and there, I think France, they pay very well. I know in Cannes, there's some uh, distributors that pay a thousand dollars, a thousand euros for every minute of a short film. Oh, wow. That's not bad. Uh -huh. that's not bad at all um now you mentioned that your your number one destination for your film was netflix uh -huh. why netflix um the truth about netflix has an appeal that speaks to me they have they're they are open to you know um um 
a variety of brands. They don't have a particular brand that they want to die to. They, they are open to new things. And I think that's what put Netflix ahead of a whole lot of other people because a lot of people are, they try to mold a particular film a certain way. They only accept certain type of films, but Netflix is open to a whole lot. That's why they have films from, from India. They have films from Germany. They have films from South Africa. They're open to, uh, to consuming cinema or, or acquiring cinema from anywhere in the world. Uh, for me, I see them as they, their, their, their mode of, operation and their their uh the content level the, the the quality of content appeals to me as a filmmaker i see myself i could see myself making films for netflix for the next 10 years 20 years because i just know for a fact they're, they they would they would first of all they will put the money behind the marketing of the product but they i've, I've realize that they do support the filmmaker they support the filmmaker's vision they're very unintrusive when it comes to some of these things and that appeals to me as a filmmaker because there's nothing worse than to try and make a film and you have a studio in your neck saying, do it this way, do it that way, do it this way, do it this way, it has to fit this. And it, it stifles you as a, as a creative. And I don't, you know, I don't see that as an issue with at least people that I know that Netflix has worked with, you know, directly off of originals. It's more just like, what's your idea? We like your idea. Go ahead. Here's the money. Go make your film and we'll distribute it. And I love that. You know, I just love the way they operate that way. Go, okay, so here here's my thing with Netflix. I mm-hmm. I hear everything that you're saying, and mm-hmm. you you are way closer to Netflix than I am. So I'm only seeing mm-hmm. it literally from my TV screen, right? Mm-hmm. So I I do like Netflix. Um, from a filmmaker's standpoint, first off, just if I made a movie tomorrow and Netflix wanted to acquire it, I would I would sell to Netflix. But here's something that I, I think about just when it comes to newer filmmakers, first time, second time filmmakers. It doesn't seem like it's a space to that that filmmakers can build a name for themselves mm. yet. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's impossible, but and it, they've only been making original films for what, I don't know, six or seven years or something like that, give or take. Um, But it doesn't seem like a space where there could be the next Quentin Tarantino or the next Ryan Coogler or the next Avery DuVernay. It seems like a space that the movie's out, it's on your queue, and then two weeks later, three weeks later, there's another movie out. And I know they've developed, like, they've developed stand-up comedians, like stand-up comedians who are completely unknown, they put they have a Netflix special and then now they're they have two million followers on Instagram, such as like Ali Wong. Um, I know they've made uh, household names out of TV stars such as Millie Bobby Brown. But I just and correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen it happen with a filmmaker yet, and I do I do understand that when your movie's on Netflix, that's a lot of potential eyes. There's a lot of eyes more than any other platform. But it almost just seems like it's on there for it's on your queue mm-hmm. for a few weeks and then it's the next movie. And it's like, how do filmmakers develop a, a, a name for themselves, you know, to, to become that A-list mm-hmm. director? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think what you said is very valid. Uh, I think that uh, a, a lot of 
you know, I think that there is also responsibility on the filmmaker to do some work in terms of marketing their work, you know, at the same time as Netflix doing it. Because yes, you're right, Netflix is a hub where the product is seen is right there. It might be there for a week or two weeks and then it's gone. At the same time, you as a filmmaker or as a producer, I think you need to do some legwork in marketing, getting eyes on it, getting people to appreciate it, get word of mouth out there. I mean, it's 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 like, you know, if you went to a movie theater, for instance, movie theater culture or whatever, I mean, it could be the same way if you're not, you know, if you have a, a small film, and uh, it's like, all right, um, I have this film in this theater, is playing if, if you don't do a lot of marketing it might go under the radar you know but right now you're cutting out a whole lot of you know the middleman to get the distribution platform which is accessible to everybody else now if you have a netflix original they would put money behind it and then to find this audience obviously but at the same time if you don't have that access i think that is a, there is uh there is uh a responsibility as you as a filmmaker to make to get your name out there um now, yes, the Ava DuVernay is all super established their names before Netflix, but you have to understand that Netflix is also, uh, it's, it's, as you said, it's still pretty new. It's, it's, you can consider what new media streaming. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and a lot of opportunity to actually get your name out there. Uh, personally, for me, uh, I would say uh, get on Netflix. I mean, I, I, I could sell the difference, you know, because of the legwork I did or uh, we did as a team uh, in terms of getting information out there and the fact that we're on Netflix and we advertise that, it actually got more eyes to watch this film. It got people from Germany watching this film. It got people from China. I got emails from China like, oh, I saw this film, blah, blah, blah. And that also comes in hand in hand with the work we did. Uh, And I know that eventually streaming is going to be really, really, it's already big. I mean, with the COVID uh, pandemic, unfortunately, uh, that the pandemic, pandemic is you know taking a lot of lives but what it did also do is that it 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 it, it helped people to realize that oh new media is something that we can start looking into like this whole streaming media ott is something that we start looking into so i it's still fresh but i see the opportunity and i see it as eventually it's going to be a hub it's almost like you go to different universities for instance the, the university of netflix university of hbo max where they signed filmmakers under them and their content's being pulled out there and there's distributions and marketing dollars put behind it without the, the filmmaker breaking the bank mm-hmm. to try and do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think that's just the way I, I see it. I mean, that might be personal to me, but you know. Yeah. Do, do, you know do you have any idea how many people have watched your film? Uh, I don't have the metrics, unfortunately. I mean, I think that if I wanted to get it, I could get it. Um, but I try. I said I'm trying to detox from from <laughs> that world. Uh, I've been with this film for about two and a half years. I edited. You know, I I, I, I was there during the editing process. I, I I worked on every aspect. I even did the subtitles myself. <laughs> you know, so it's just like getting away from it. And then you know, before I go back into making my next project, I just want to spend time with my family. So I'm not really just, I'm separating myself from just that world of, oh, what's going on in this, you know, and even the film, I, 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 I've chosen not to see it. So maybe when I see it, maybe a year or two from now, uh, just, you know, I just want to just pull away from it. So but if I wanted to get those, in that information, I think I can get it. Uh, my, my producing partner, uh, Viola, uh, she would probably have access to that information right now. 
Wait, you haven't seen your own film yet? No, other than working on it. I mean, because, you know, you have I mean, when you're watching it, I just, I literally, we literally finished working on Line of Beat, and I didn't know, uh, we finished Color, I think July, from right now, July, August, yeah, July. So we turned in all the liberables. So prior to that, I mean, I'm working on it actively, and once you're watching it, once you're working on the film, you're seeing it from the technical side, timing, pacing, this is all, fix that, VFX. So I'm looking at it from an artist, the filmmaker point of view. I can't really enjoy it as a as an audience member yet because it's still i'm still going to be critiquing and trying to fi fix it so i want to usually try to take time away from my work and then maybe i see it you know a year later like oh wow you know I, that's i'm now understanding i'm seeing the story flow so I, I don't know how the filmmakers are but sometimes after i'm done with the film it's like ah i'm i see how this flows because once you're in it you're in this manic state trying to construct it you know what you're trying to do prior to but once you get into that world and you're answering questions from 50 different people, it, you know, you're trying to just make a story and just put something together. So I, I've really, uh, I've not really been able to enjoy the film as an audience member yet. Okay, as, as an audience member, but you have seen it from beginning to end though, right? Oh yeah, okay. I mean like every <laughs> frame of it. Yeah, no, no. no. I thought you said I, you've, yeah. never, like, you've no. never seen it from beginning to end. I was like, how do you know? No, no, that, that, that particular part. No, I, I scrutinize the film. Like I watch frame by frame. And I said, I did some of the editing on my end. So it's like, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just been a whole lot. I probably watched it about 200, 300 times over the course of making it. So I just wanted to take it away and just like <laughs> grow I, out there and grow you know have you know like a kid go out there and you know make you friends live. and grow yeah yeah you gotta, gotta live so you can make the art um yeah <laughs> so how do you like when you're that close to the did you say you edited it or you were you were there uh, I, I i was there but also the way i work i i also know how to edit so the best way for me to convey my thoughts is I sometimes do stuff on my own. So I, I after we did the initial release, I went back and I did some editing on, on Final Cut Pro uh, because the film was edited initially on Avid. And I, I don't really, I don't know Avid. You know, I tried to learn it. It was just way over my head. I, I know Final Cut Pro. So I took what we had in the rough cut and I put it into Final Cut Pro and I started adding scenes and started putting everything together the way I wanted it to be. And then I took that, exported that out, the whole film as is. And I exported that out to the people that could work on, on Final Cut Pro, on Avid and say, hey, this is what the finished product is. Can you not replicate this in Avid? So they just took what I was in and started replicating it, you know, in, in, in Avid uh, for the final output. So it's like, that's how close I get to it. Like I try to go, I go in there and try to, you know, show you what I want visually. So it's just, it's easier than trying to explain something, especially if I'm editing something, if I'm in like London, for instance, and I'm editing in LA, the best way to do is just have something that people can follow as opposed to trying to explain something via email, which is very difficult sometimes, uh, unless you know, you're know you there with the person and it's very difficult when you're traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. So how do, you, how do you remain, how do you have a fresh perspective of your film because, you know, when I when I write, when I'm writing, you know, I'll read my script, you know, dozens of times. And if I'm writing a comedy, which I, I like to write, uh, I will read the script. And sometimes I'm, once I've read it 20 times, I'm like, is this even funny anymore? And then the next time I read it, I'm like, nah, it's actually pretty funny. 
And then the next time I'm like, ah, actually, I don't know if this is funny. So how do you, when you're, and I, I've never made a, fe- I've made a short film. I've written yeah. and directed a short film, but I've never directed a feature film. So when you've watched the film 200, 300 times and you're so close to it, how do you yeah. keep a fresh perspective? How do you even know what you're doing is good enough for, by your standards? Um, yeah. Well, uh, for me, the thing is that before I shoot a scene, I already see it in my head everything so by the time i do it i kind of have an idea of what it is and what's being conveyed and all that stuff so i know for a fact it's working because i've seen it in my head you know um clearly but um once you've done it and you're jaded you know over and over and over again sometimes you might need um, i'll probably i mean i only had the luxury of taking maybe a, a week off maybe and i just don't do anything pertaining to the film i don't talk about it you know, uh, and then I go back in. Uh, so I was doing a little bit of that. Like I just take a week off and because and I, I have other projects and other things I'm working on. So I just work on this other thing. Then I go back to this film. Uh, and I think that was how I kept it fresh, just taking shorter, short breaks off of it and then jumping back in to say, okay, I got to fix it. But because I already know what I was shooting on set, I kind of have an idea of what the whole the thing would look like. Now, is it working or not? That's something that, you know, I was just in the moment, moment by moment, moment by moment. And I'm seeing, okay, if I work, I'm seeing, okay, this works. I watch it like over and over again. All right, this is conveyed. This information is conveyed. The stakes are established. Oh, that little um, nuanced action there, it says this. Oh, maybe we should change that to this. So I'm, I'm looking at scrutinizing moment by moment, not as a whole, because working on a film about two hours and four, whatever i think it was two, the initial call was two hours and 40 minutes long you can't watch as a whole and remember everything so i have to look at moment by moment and 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 i believe by testing it out with people and getting their feedback over the course of making it and having people watch it that also helps inform me uh about the things that are working or not working but yeah i i definitely understand what you're saying it's it's really difficult to stay fresh but you also have to have people that you could trust around you you know uh, my whole family is a family of filmmakers so oh, wow. they're they're brutally honest with me when it comes to these things what do you mean by your whole family um my dad um uh, is a filmmaker well he has a filmmaking background um he uh he went has a degree in cinematography and he moved to Nigeria, but because there was no industry then, he decided to go into television. So he's been doing TV for about 30, 38 years now. Oh, wow. Um, my sister, my younger sister is also a filmmaker, so she produced this film. She's one of my co-producers on this film, but she produces everything I work on. And by, you know, so she's also a filmmaker. By virtue of my mother being married to my dad, and because film is so important to us, we grew up with around, you know, watching movies, it's supposed to be at a dinner table. She became a filmmaker and she now writes stuff. And my um, my uh, my wife, by married to me, she now starts to, she's now very, she's my best critic when it comes to screen screenplays because she tried, she's, she pretty much became a filmmaker by virtue of being married to me and being his family. So it's <laughs> like, so we're all filmmakers. Uh, right. I was telling my sister the other day, like, we need to have habits because our life is film. Mm-hmm. Like, once I'm not making a movie, I'm working on a, a treatment or um, I'm reading a screenplay and editing for another, you know, um, for one of my writers. Uh, the film, of films I'm directing, I'm editing them because I sometimes work on films 
uh, fight should have fell up sometime I've been working for like six years or five years mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, just to make sure so I'm always doing that and if I'm not doing that is I'm watching a movie or a TV show and critique and breaking down and asking questions just to make myself better why did make that choice oh that's interesting I would love to try that so that's how I learn it's like watching movies yeah. um and so that's my life so I need to get more hobbies out of this film yeah I think it's definitely important to kind of just for some people to take a take a step back just just to live a bit and get off that yeah. space. But that's so yeah. dope that you're that you have a family like I'm inspired now. I'm going to start my own family and force them to be filming. <laughs> yeah. We don't have we don't do the dining table thing. We just sit down and watch TV and eat dinner all all our life. Yeah. You guys like hypercritical about everything too? Uh, sometimes, I mean, we used to, I think it, for me, it grew from that to all asking questions because I feel like every filmmaker makes a choice uh, and that choice is motivated somehow, some way. So, um, when I wasn't working, when you know, there's a dry period being a film, going from film school to be as a director, I use that time to start watching movies again, to reorient myself for movies and to relearn filmmaking. And then I say asking questions. And uh, when you look at a film like a Sergio Leone film, for instance, and you ask, well, the stage and the composition, why is that there? Why is that there? Hmm, that's interesting. Why do they use that color palette? Why is the lighting over there? You start to realize you're answering the questions you're asking, and that makes you a better filmmaker. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, as opposed to being critical, it's more or less like asking questions. And off of those questions, you can make yourself a better filmmaker. And it also, makes you more of a intuitive filmmaker like intuition takes the lead a lot of times on set once you've worked a lot of movies and i think tarantino is very good for that too Mm. um just intuition Mm -hmm. um so what was the process of creating your own production company (laughs) wow that's a good one uh wow um i remember in film school I'm the kind of, I used to be the kind of filmmaker, my instructor is something that I'm the kind of filmmaker that I kind of just take a product and just shoot it as is because it has to be personal to me. But at the same time, I wanted, I, I wanted to make a film that represented who I was as a person, Nigerian American, Nigerian and American. Uh, and I didn't see a lot of production companies that, you know, were doing that doing the diasporan struggle story, doing the African struggle story, doing the African-American struggle, being African-American in the United States. I didn't see a lot of production companies doing that. So I took it upon myself to, okay, I want to make a a set up a company with a mission statement to make films for underrepresented people and showcase or highlight the struggles of people that reflected who I was which is the African-American or the African, and also the indigenous people from different tribes that are not represented in mainstream America. And that's how Skylar Pictures was born with that mission statement. And every film on our slate reflects that. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to do just to be able to do that because it was not a tapped into uh, field, you know, it was not tapped into a niche. And I felt that by us highlighting that niche, we can actually start making fresh stories that people don't, people have never seen before. People, you know, people understood, but they did not see that, they did not know that people, that, that other people felt the same way as they did. You know, I, so I wanted to be able to tap into that. And that's why this, uh, I set up my own company with that. And I think we did this, started the company in 20, 
started at 20, 2008, then I revamped in 2015. Okay. How many films have y'all produced? Uh, we've done mostly short films. Uh, we've done, I think, four. Uh, I think four or five short films. Doorways happened to be our first one. Uh, then I did Finding Neptune. Uh, my sister did Dancing in the Moonlight. Uh, she did uh, Dear Nora. And then I did uh, this movie. And then, yeah, and then uh, we have some TV show stuff that we did also. So, yeah, uh, not as many because I said I take time before I work on the project. I just don't try and whip them off for us. It has to be personal. So I take time to develop them uh, from the script format, which is sometimes four years to do each film. Mm. Wow. Um, and do you all do like, is are your music videos part of that production company or? No, I, I did music videos just at the beginning of my career. Like the reason why, I mean, I got into, the way I found myself in this industry was off of a music video bit. Somebody told me that, hey, I was an animator and somebody said, do you want to make a music video? And I gave them a quote and they're like, you know what? You've not really done any music videos before. So why are you quoting us this? So I worked on it for free and I, did my first music video for somebody in 19, I think 2006. And then after that, uh, once I did that video in Nigeria, other people started coming to me to make music videos. And then I think by the time, uh, 20, 2008, I told myself I didn't want to work on music videos um, per se, because just the responsibility of getting an artist out of bed uh, it was not something I felt I wanted to be doing because, you know, like, hey, you're supposed to be on the set. And then the artist like, oh, I don't want to come out of bed because, you know, the discipline wasn't there, at least, you know, for the artist. And I just didn't want to deal with that long term. So I said I was just going to make motion picture and television stuff. Gotcha. And I'm not done these videos ever since. Got you. Got you. No, that, that is uh, <laughs> should not be part of the job description. Yeah. <laughs> should not be part of it. Um, so what what challenges did you have? in regards to when you first started your production company or even in the last year or so? Um, I think the major challenge I had was, you know, getting people, it's financial, getting people to invest in, 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 in your vision as a storyteller or in your film. It's something that I know like most filmmakers, all, all if not, you know, all filmmakers deal with but setting up the company wasn't hard. Um, getting understanding because you know re, uh, um, understanding how a production company works wasn't difficult. You can get our information uh, either from trial and error or from reading. So I, I, I studied a lot and I did a lot of these things on my own, like going to the film festivals, going to film markets. But getting investment dollars is one of the hardest things uh, in the US and also, I mean, in, in, in Africa, getting people to believe in your vision. So that was, I think, the hardest thing because um, I had to come up with, you know, uh, ingenious ways, you know, which is how I read about tax credits and, you know, um, you know uh, fellowships and grants and all that stuff. I, I had to look into all that um to be able to just get money behind my my product and then a lot of them also self-finance and not until i guess two years ago three years ago or three years ago was when okay the door started opening when's okay you can now talk to people and get somebody to be interested to finance a film 
Uh, but that journey has been 10 years going, you know, just getting people off the ground to just invest in your products. A lot of times it just starts and then it doesn't go through, you know. Are you talking know, about, I'm sorry, are you, are you talking about investing in short films? Yeah, short films and, and, and feature films, you know. Um, uh, there are certain feature films that uh, I think about, I have one feature film that I was tr been trying to finance for, I think since 2015. I mean, obviously, it's, it's, the subject matter is very dark, uh, so it's very indie feel. And I, it's been five years. I traveled to London, traveled to U.S., traveled to France, just traveled to Africa, just to try and get financing for this film based on promises and conversations. And sometimes you invest all that money and then you get to that finish line and like, hey, you know what? We can't really invest right now because X, Y, Z. So a lot of turn uh, running around. Uh, was one of the, the hardest thing was that financing aspect. Um, but yeah, in the process of it also, you learn, you know, and that's what I try to do is turn the negative into positive. What I learned from the situation, how can I be better? And it's all helped me uh, as far as like being a better producer uh, and just understanding what I want. Like right now I know what I want and I know for a fact that uh, if I don't get this particular thing that I want, I can't sell myself short of it because of the value in which I've thought about, I've weighed it, and the value in which my careful thought process behind this, this, this thing I want uh, 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 has, uh, I guess, brought it is the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was just, I was thinking, how would I, how could someone um, get an investor to, contribute to their short film it just seems like i mean investing in a film in general is so risky um it's really really risky it's it's i'm not <laughs> i'm not a, a a financial expert but i would imagine it's one of the riskier investments that one could make um so i'm trying to imagine uh, trying to convince an investor to uh, invest in a short film uh -huh. you know how, how often does that even happen uh, i think i mean it, it just depends on what the short film is for i mean i think yes you're right it's very risky a feature is risky and the short film is even riskier because you know don't have a lot of outlets for it i think just being able to understand what's the message behind the film and what opportunity does it present sometimes you might just want to spend some money on a short film in order for you to get the financing for the bigger film uh, what I try to do is that with my short films, a lot of them are going to be proof, they're proof of concepts for features. So by investing in a short film, you automatically are positioning yourself as an investor in the feature version, the theatrical feature version. So for a fraction, I want you want to put on the table to get a piece of a feature film. You just, you know, put something small down for a short film. And then also, as I was telling you that they have outlets for short films to get distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, my first short film, got, I sold distribution rights to a company, a, uh, um, a francophone company. Uh, it was a 20-minute short film, but it did get distribution. And I feel that they are outlets. You just have to be able to find it. But also, what story are you trying to tell? How important is the story today? Where do you see the story going? Uh, museums are another place to actually sell a short film to. Museums are always looking for you know, uh, exhibits to showcase something. So if you make a movie on even human trafficking, that's something 
a short film that can actually play in certain museums or certain organizations can take on it or even license it. Like a university approached me not too long ago and they're asking to license a film, you know, uh, and that's some, that's another way to monetize your, your products, you know, like, Hey, you can get the universities to showcase what your subject matter is to upcoming students, you know, to educate them, you know, on whatever the, 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 the situation or topic is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, all right, Tosin, thank you so much for, uh, spending some time, during your detox with, uh, with me and and <laughs> sharing you. all this information, I really learned a lot about uh, Nollywood. I didn't know much, um, and you. now I know something. So I appreciate <laughs> that, and and I think uh, some of our listeners will appreciate that as well. Um, so of course, of course. Where can people find you on uh, the internet or social media? Sure thing. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram, uh, Tosin Coker Film on Instagram. And then uh, if you want to send me an email, uh, www.skylarpictures.com, S-K-Y-L-A-R pictures.com, uh, or send me an email at tosin.coker at skylarpictures.com. And I'm very good at responding, uh, even to help or to share resources or knowledge with people. I'm always excited to help filmmakers on, you know, to network with people. Awesome, sounds good. Thank you so much, Tosin. Thank you very much, Reggie. Enjoy. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. This episode was co-executive produced by Gabrielle Charles and Sino Gibson and was edited by Marcus Rosendahl. If you're interested in being part of our community and attending events, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right. See you soon.